Monday, September 7th. Happy Labor Day to everyone. This is LA Podcast and it is hot. It's not as hot as it was when we were recording this. Right. Yes. Labor Day should cool down significantly, right? Like almost 20 degrees, which is horrifying. Yeah. To get down to just a a low 90s, a lovely mid to high 90s. By the time you hear this, we might have broken an all time L.A. city temperature record. It was expected that we could have matched or broken the Woodland Hills uh, 119 reading from the famous heat wave of 2006. So it's possible mm-hmm. that by the time you've heard this, we will be in that world <laughs> hotter than before. We're it all, is. We're still in that world. 104 on my phone right now. Supposed to get to 109. Yesterday in Woodland Hills, I think they had the highest number. They hit 117. I think that broke their uh, day record. Yeah, the day, all-time that was their, day. Their record for the day. Record. Yes. Yep. It's just so fun to have another set of numbers to track associated with death and mm-hmm. just like oh, general nightmare. I do always wonder like what's going through the minds of the weather people when they get on social media and they're like, we have a good chance of breaking records today. We're going to have all-time records in these locations. And it sounds like they're saying something good, but they're not. It's, it's actually really bad. <laughs> it related, like, just sort of number tracking. I got the California ISO app. Do we all have this? No. It's what fun, is right? You it's told really us to fun. get it. You told us to get it, Scott. Didn't you get it? Which one? The ISO. Someone told us to get this app. To track. Maybe it was Carolina. To track the heat. No, it was Scott. To track the heat where. With your utility uh, or, or Not the, like the energy use in the state. So they have what they, they project the peak to be. They have a little bar that shows all the energy that they have in the entire state of California. Oh, yeah. And you watch us use it all yeah. up. And just get to just like. Just like tiptoe on the border of like statewide blackout. Yeah. And then gradually recede and then do it all again the next that day. Is, that was me that told you guys to get that app. Yes, it is fun to watch it happen day by day. Just drain up all of the existing energy in the grid. And then there's no more. And then blackouts begin across the entire state. This particular heat wave, I mean, so this this one, the last one that we had was like the side effect of a monsoonal uh, moisture pattern coming off of a tropical storm out over the Pacific Ocean. This one apparently is like a really rare phenomenon where two high-pressure systems crash into each other. And so the result is much higher highs and uh, overnight lows too. And potentially, just like the last one, except even more so because now we're talking about setting all-time high records. The the potential consequences, especially for people living on the streets in LA, uh, this could be deadly for people. What is our status with 
cooling centers, though, Alyssa. Not very cool, Scott. (laughs) (laughs) I, I, yeah, it feels, it felt like this was the week that we, you know, talking about the overlapping data that we're tracking that is almost overwhelmingly bad news and, and filled with death. And then at the same time, the failings of our government have to deal with multiple crises, multiple overlapping crises. This felt like the weekend of a, a real test and we failed. We've, I can already say that, you know, we're recording this on Sunday and I, I think we definitely failed. We knew this was coming. We knew this was going to be a historic heat wave. We knew that we had issues with social distance, you know, making sure we could fulfill social distancing protocols and keeping people cool. We also had the news leading up to this week that homeless deaths are up in the city this year or mm-hmm. the county this year. They, you know, we, we talk a lot about the three a day people die who are living on the streets. This year, we've already almost hit the number. It was the total of the number of people who died last year. So this year it might be more like four per day. And that a type of number really increases of who, who can die uh, when, they, like you said, in, in these super high, low night temperatures. So you have like people who just yeah. can't recover from the stress of being outside. We have five locations in the city of LA for cooling centers, the same number as Long Beach, a city that has 3.5 million fewer residents. We have more run by the county, but if you look at a map, right. like I surely, you know, I'm lucky to have one that I could walk to from my house, but there were, you know, looking at different areas, there's no real way to to get to a cooling center safely unless you were in a vehicle. Something I thought of too is that this would be a perfect opportunity to make transit free. I know that the buses are effectively Free. That's something we could have done. We could have opened up all the malls that are sure, closed yeah. and at least let, 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 let people go inside. We could have used our schools. Uh, LAUSD schools are sitting there empty with no nothing happening then. We could have opened. There's so many things we could have done and we did not do this. I'm so curious, like the, the cooling center issue. So these are are generally, at least as far as I could tell, seem to be run by the Recreation and Parks Department. We had a lot of forewarning about, I mean, this is coming, obviously, pretty close on the heels of our last heat wave. But we also had like a week and a half's worth of warning that this was coming up. I'm not really getting what it would what it would take for the city to actually be prepared in having these cooling centers open. Something else I noticed while I was looking at them is that the vast majority of them, including I think all of the ones that that are actually in the city of LA, don't open until noon, which we're recording this before noon. And Hayes just said it's 104 degrees currently. So it's, it's, and it was hot all night. All, all night. night. I thought yeah. that was a typo. I, th- I mean, yeah, it was. It was hundred degrees at like sunset. I mean, <laughs> yeah. So I, I think there are a couple things going on here. One, we're going to talk about how they're using these facilities for different purposes. And like, for example, during the last heat wave, uh, the Van Nuys Sherman Oaks Cooling Center in District Four was was open, and this weekend it is mm-hmm. closed. So imagine getting yourself there, anticipating being able to use it like you did last time. And then you show up and it's completely closed. And now you are like stuck on a heat island and and have to make your way back. But I think another thing like, so this is actually 
I think similar to what happens when you talk to city officials about a lot of different kinds of homeless services. And also when you talk about like bike lanes and bus lanes, they always say, well, people aren't using them. Like yeah. the cooling centers, like do not get like really widespread right. use. It's not like there's a line out the door for people to, they're, they're, they're not turning away people from these cooling centers for, for the most part. And the reason for that is they don't promote them well. They don't do the outreach. They don't go to encampments and say, like, hey, here's a place where you can cool off or you can stay for the entire day. Often you can only stay for an hour. They definitely wouldn't, like, ferry people in, like, cars to and from these facilities. They aren't really designed to be widely used. They're designed to check a box of having done something. You made this service available. And if people didn't use it, they didn't use it. It's what we heard when... We were talking uh, about shutting down the emergency rec center shelters. They were like, well, they're only half full. There's only like 30 people in this facility, as if that's like a small number. Right. But saying like this, the thing that we have set up has not been like uh, we were failed. We, the city, were failed by the people who supposedly needed the services. They actually don't need it at all because they're not using it. Same for bike lanes. They say, like, why would we build more of these bike lanes? This piece of shit one that we have that's like a tenth of a mile long that isn't protected and like you have cars like whizzing by you. Nobody, Nobody uses it. Yeah. Yeah. So why would we build something? I mean, it has value to them in their minds only optically. And then at that point, the difference between five cooling centers and a sixth one is negligible. Like they opened them like if like people didn't show up. Like, and then they close them a few days later. I mean, it's good enough for the mayor to put on his socials. Then then it's good enough for the people who are right. uh, apparently going to have to use it, I think is the city's approach. But yeah, you're, you're raising a really good point. And, and it's that the city doesn't ever seem to engage in the question of what would we need to do? It, like, the, the need for this isn't really contested. If people aren't using the services as provided, it means that the city is doing something wrong. But they don't ever engage in the question of what could we do to actually make it so that people would want to use these facilities for which there's a clear need. I mean, you're kidding. You're telling me it's 117, 118 in the valley and people are not going to the cooling centers. It's because you're doing something wrong. And I mean, for the most obvious constituency who could like have their lives saved by this, by people who are are living unsheltered on LA's streets, I, I mean, outreach is definitely a problem. But then part of the problem beyond outreach is you can't spend 360 days out of the year criminalizing people, trying to steal their belongings, trying to force them from location to location. And then for five days out of the year, be like, oh, hey, we're here to help save your life. Follow me to this location and you'll get access to air conditioning. Like, why would you trust those people? You know, why would you feel safe uh, leaving your encampment with city services and only come to find out later that all of your belongings have been taken from you or you can't go back to the place where you've been staying. I, I don't know. I mean, this is this is kind of gets back to to why the services, not sweeps 
coalition exists in the first place, right? The, the group of activists who are trying to say, you can't do both of these things because criminalizing people it so directly undercuts the service provision that, that no one will trust you. No one will even uh, believe that you are trying to help them out when, when they need help. But that's the game, right? It works the same way with yeah. Metro. There's a decline in bus ridership. They cut services. They look at it again. They're shocked to find that ridership has declined even more, leads to even more service cuts. And the story becomes that this is not something that people want when really the, whatever's being provided is just insufficient. And this is where the myth of service resistance comes right. from in homelessness as well. You provide something that is not, not effective, not like a desirable product, and you don't advertise it. And then when it doesn't sell, you say like, well, I mean, they don't, they don't want any version of this product. One reason that Sela has so many people participating in its programs is we have a, a setup where we test mm -hmm. uh, people like when things are happening. If we have like a event that's on a different schedule, we text this like pretty large network of people who are homeless in the in the community because like a, a, a very significant number of them has have cell phones. We're checking in on the database all the time. When they come, they can they, if they get a new number, they can enter that in. And then it gets communicated to other people and like it's just an outreach network without even having to go outside. The city of L.A. has this setup that they do. They have Nixle. They have their emergency alert program. No one would begrudge them if they used that to say, hey, uh, if you, here's your nearest cooling center. If you don't have AC, you should go here. And like, just like get some, like cool down for a couple hours yeah. and then you can go home. I was thinking about that they, too. Yeah. Like we, mm -hmm. where are our emergency city alerts that we love to use when your curfew is in effect, when you're protesting, Right. where mm -hmm. was that this weekend? I mean, it could have been, we should have had one from the city and the county with this information, letting people know where they could get help. Especially like. We've said it over and over, but under normal circumstances, I think they would almost be okay to say like, look, like just go in the library, go to like all these other, like go to McDonald's, you know, like there are places that people can hang out. And so to do a citywide text alert system would maybe not be necessary. All of those places are closed. There is nowhere for anyone to go. Even someone who's housed, who doesn't have AC, there's really nowhere you can go to get relief and instead of accounting for that they did arguably less than they've done yeah. in 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 previous and that's years. why it's so noxious i mean the the yeah I, I agree they've done they've done less i think pretty clearly there were more cooling centers pre-covid even setting aside what you're saying hayes about being able to go to private locations and things like that but it's so noxious that city government, probably most prominently personified by Eric Garcetti, but certainly not ending with him. This, I think, is is pretty far and, and wide in local government here in Southern California. There's been this real self-insulating rhetoric of exactly what we mentioned a couple minutes ago. Anytime that the government fails the people who live here, it gets turned around and it gets turned into the people didn't do what they should have done to protect themselves. There's no accountability 
you know, like the 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 buck just never stops and it 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 just keeps getting passed around. And and ultimately the people who are victims of the the lack of services, the lack of quality service provision are the ones who end up getting blamed. Let's talk about uh we uh, last week we mentioned how the protests that we were seeing in Portland and Kenosha had not escalated in LA the way that they had there. This week there there was a significant escalation in in protest activity and law enforcement response. Scott, do you want to talk about that? Sure. Yeah, we discussed a little bit during our special bonus episode about the the end of the legislative session, the death of Dijon Kizzi, who was killed by sheriff's deputies while he was riding a bike in the South LA neighborhood of Westmont in unincorporated LA County. So this killing out of all of the ones that have happened this summer, including the recent murder of Andres Guardado by sheriff's deputies out of Compton, for, for whatever reason, Kizzi's death became national and indeed international news, getting coverage from, you know, the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Guardian, places like that. So this has sort of galvanized people. It has been much like the death of Guardado before. It has been a a cause that has led people to the streets in protests, this time to the South Los Angeles Sheriff's Station, as opposed to the Compton Sheriff's Station, which is uh, the site from which the deputies came who who murdered Andres Guardado. I do want to, I think we have a little bit more information than we did at the time we recorded our special episode. So I want to recap what we know so far. And basically, the the narrative goes like this. So around 3 p.m. on last Monday, a week ago, uh, Dijon Kazi, who was a uh, resident of Palmdale, but he was visiting the Westmont area, was riding his bike around the neighborhood, uh, at which point he was stopped by the sheriff's deputies on fictitious grounds. This is the exact kind of thing that would be referred to, uh, would have been referred to in New York under Bloomberg as stop and frisk. They were, they pretty clearly created a false pretense to make a stop so that they could determine whether or not um, there was anything that would justify arresting Kizzy. And I want to just make one thing clear. Like, even if it were, even if the pretense were real, I mean, what they were talking about was like some kind of nonspecific biking violation. Like he was riding down like the wrong direction down the the one way street or like riding on the sidewalk or something like that. So even the pretense in a sane world would not justify armed law enforcement stopping and investigating. Absolutely not. So at this point in time, what we have is a, a variety of different sources for what happens following the initial contact made by deputies. The sheriff's department themselves, they've changed their story three, four times maybe since the actual murder. And I would say that absent any kind of external validation of the story, it doesn't even bear repeating because they've just taken so many swings at it. That, however, there were other witnesses, including people with cameras and including security systems that had cameras trained in the general location of the shooting from which we can construct a, a basic narrative of what happened. Uh, Kizzi was in some manner trying to disentangle himself from, from the police and he was pretty clearly trying to run away from them. At a certain point, from security camera footage that was released that actually shows 
the clearest view that we have at this point in time of the shooting itself, but is very low resolution. As he's running away, he falls to the ground. And that is the point at, uh, at, in time at which the deputies open fire. And from a variety of sources, we have it that somewhere between 15 and 22 shots were fired all by police deputies. There is the, There was a handgun recovered at the scene that was apparently not on his person at the time that Kizzy was shot and killed. This was carried out by a deputy trainee and his training officer that we don't have names for as of the time of this recording. And following Kizzy's death after he was hit by, you know, more than a dozen shots, as far as we can tell, he was left laying face down on the sidewalk. He was handcuffed after he was deceased. And then people began to gather at the scene and protest. And there have been protests nightly since then culminating, not culminating, but as far as this week is concerned, culminating with a march to the South Los Angeles Sheriff's Station where sheriff's deputies open fire on the crowd indiscriminately with rubber bullets, tear gas into a crowd that was full of families, young children, activists, and and the the violence that we're seeing. I, I mean, this this is a response that the LA Sheriff's Department, I feel like this is this is not divorceable from the the broader narrative of the way that they see themselves operating within LA County. I don't, I don't know. I mean, just in terms of having gangs, having the like the warfare mentality where you're acting like, you know, like the East LA station referring to itself as Apache station, referring to yourself as like a an occupying outpost in enemy territory. That's the way that they behaved on on Saturday night. I feel like that culture is so deeply ingrained in the county sheriff's department that it's it's not a surprise when they act this way, but it is deeply disturbing. It's also consistent with some of what we've been hearing in these whistleblower cases about the incentives that these deputies are going out there with. They want to they get points their, their job is a video game, basically, where they get points for collecting items, specifically guns, yep. and making, in the case of the Metro unit and the LAPD, making, like, gang arrests. They get these little, like, Xbox achievement-style, like, things where, like, if they go out and get this stuff, they get promotions. They get financially rewarded. Yeah. So they see someone who they suspect as being someone who might be in possession of a gun. And they roll up on him. He tried to get away immediately because allegedly, like according to the story, he did have a gun on him. Although we have heard more and more reports of them doing this and saying that there was a gun when there wasn't. Uh, but they chase him down. They accuse him of of punching them as he was trying to get out of their their grasp. Because you can see one thing you can see in the video is that they come for him. It's not like they like are just talking and he and he starts attacking them or something like they're coming after him from the very beginning and it they end up killing him as happens so often in these situations but it is it's it, it it's not it is cultural a huge amount of it is cultural but it's also built into their reward system where they say go out and get these items which also justify you being able to kill the people that you 
find them on. The original story that the deputies told was he dropped this guy. He was holding a bundle of clothes and he dropped them and they saw that there was a gun in them and then they started shooting. So he never had his hand on the gun. I, the, I, then there was a story that he had bent down, I guess, to pick up what he had dropped. And so that allowed them to to start firing. It was like a number of different stories, none of which ever had him actually holding a gun and 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 pointing it at them. But yeah, it's 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 the program. It's like the whole idea is to go out and get these things which require you to like you're saying Scott, like find a pretense to stop somebody and hope that this little reward is is in there that will get you a promotion. And Scott, you looked at the the specific area where they are making these stops, or I don't know what you class of you made this wonderful yeah. chart that was really illustrated how much more likely you are to get stopped for whatever. Yeah, um, that was so. That data specifically was uh, for the Los Angeles Police Department, which I mean, for as much as. The, the and there's there's very little to 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 look at positively in in Los Angeles policing, but at least LAPD makes this data somewhat accessible. I don't believe that that anything similar to that exists for the sheriff's department. But yes, so I was looking at LAPD stops based on the part of the city that they occurred in, which precinct the stop occurred in, and you find out that as as is probably expected any kind of stop of either vehicle so car or bike or pedestrian made by LAPD is about twice as likely to happen in South Los Angeles in particular the 77th precinct which is the geographical area that's right next to where Westmont is right next to where the the South Los Angeles uh, Sheriff's Department patrols and so you also have overlapping jurisdictional issues there. And the Newton division of the Central Bureau, which is, of course, historic South Central. And of those, you know, the, the, most, the most stops that are happening in terms of the population that, that live there are, are happening in 77th and are three times higher than those happening in like, for example, the West LA division and Hayes, like you pointed out on Twitter, even that obscures the fact that these stops are generally speaking, not evenly distributed racially Metro, which was heavily operative in South Los Angeles was disproportionately stopping blacks and Latinx Angelinos at, at extraordinary rates. Right. So, yeah, I mean that like, it's amazing that even those numbers that you pulled up, like, don't even tell the whole story of the racial bias in this process. South L.A. is not majority no. black. Uh, it's like about a third of the people that live in these parts of South L.A. are black. But the L.A. Times found a couple of years ago that about 65 percent of the people being stopped in these areas were black. And that also opens up the question of who's being stopped in West L.A. Yep. Right. You know, like. The, like the idea that the 77th and Newton, you're more likely to be stopped there than if you're in West L.A. Because because West L.A. is a white neighborhood and white people are less likely to be stopped. They're probably also pulling over black people in West L.A. So it like 
it might just be a consequence of like the I mean, it is just a consequence of where black residents are gathered in Los Angeles, where these stops happen more often. But it's like it's everywhere. If you're black, that's who they are much, much, much more likely to stop in L.A. And I assume everywhere um, around the country. Uh, so like you were saying, Scott, there where where this killing happened was two blocks like away yes, from the city of LA. Around the corner. Yeah. yeah. Uh this is like this part of of LA where like there there's essentially zero distinction between city of LA and county of LA. There's lots of like very narrow shoelaces that are the city. And we had for the first time in recent memory that Mayor Garcetti approaching a mention of the, the, this this event, Alyssa, you watch the Garcetti show religiously. I I do. You know, it's it's not on as much as it used to be, but I I'm still a, a faithful watcher. The limited series. So remember that last week, uh, the mayor tweeted about Jacob Blake about the situation yes. in in Kenosha. Like he actually like you know made this. You know, our heart is with him. You know, some type of tweet. And they tweeted a lot about George Floyd. Oh, yes, of course. Yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah. So I think just keeping that in mind, we waited for any type of mention of this on social media. It did not happen. So on the Garcetti show, this was September 2nd, the amazing Claudia Pasciuta asked during the Q&A, you've denounced some recent fatal uses of force in other cities. I'm wondering if there are any closer to home that you'd like to speak out about. Run the God bless Claudia. I know, Claudia. She does this every single time. She finds the one thing that they are avoiding talking about, and she asks them about it. And she actually asked three questions as part of this one question. This was only one of the many good questions she asked. But I want to, let's listen. And he gets, just listen how close he gets. How close? Okay, run the clip. Second, in terms of use of force, absolutely. There's always ones that are closer at home. We saw one last night here. Um, These are tragedies. We have to save lives. I've worked so diligently uh, together with this department and our commission uh, to reduce uh, fatal deaths at the hands of LAPD officers, for instance, by uh, nearly uh, 50% just in the last four years. We're now 82nd out of the top 100 cities in terms of per capita deaths. And some of these situations are always dangerous. Not every single uh, death is one that is always able to be prevented. But I want us to prevent as many as possible and condemn any that we see. Oftentimes, these are under investigation, but I've spoken out whether it was the killing that we saw in Venice uh, that I was disappointed that charges weren't brought uh, to an officer who took the life of uh, Angelino experiencing homelessness um, and other ones. We have to hold ourselves accountable always. And I want to say something to our police officers. I know how difficult this time has been. I want them to know that we see them, uh, that I believe as city employees that I should have their backs in terms of when we see things like green lasers shot into their eyes that are causing permanent damage. We're going to protect you. We're going to make sure that we tell the stories of the heroic acts you have every single day. On the flip side, we will always hold police officers accountable, and we need to. Uh, like any employees of the city of Los Angeles, not just police officers, so don't feel that that's just about police, but we have to make sure 
uh, that the progress we've made here in Los Angeles, and I'm very proud of it, almost nobody picked up in the media that we are now fully compliant with eight can't wait, uh, one of the biggest cities in America to achieve that. And by the way, we didn't just awake to that this summer. That was something we had already done five of them. Uh, the commission passed the last three of those uh, just in July. But um, you know, even with tens of thousands of people on the street calling for those sorts of policies against use of force, we passed them, by the way, without opposition from our police union. Okay. He, let me hear, let's hear, let's go over what he said instead of saying the name. We saw one last night here. Yeah. First of all, it wasn't last night. It was Monday mm-hmm. night, right? Mm-hmm. It was. Oh, wait, so, and, and this one was on. This was Wednesday. Okay. So it wasn't even last night, right? I mean, I mean am I getting that right? Like, was the Monday. dates? Like, it was. Yeah, you are. Actually, I think you're so, getting it. I think you're being too generous. So let's find out. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Not even knowing, you know, when this major incident happened that, you know, has thrown your city once again into the streets protesting. But okay, so maybe he's going to say something about his family, about, you know, uh, what this neighborhood, like just any kind of end note pivots directly to the police who are threatened by Green lasers getting shot in their eyes. Yeah. This has yeah. been a thing that's so come up I more, actually the low lasers. The lasers, the lasers. clearly. Have the you been most, hearing about these lasers oh, too? Wow, the most dangerous thing on our streets. So I mean, not to say that this has not happened at all in LA, but the only record I have seen of this green lasers discussion is related to Portland. And yes. a video that went around on conservative uh-huh. yes. media. Yep. You do, yes. do you know about this? The video was not from Portland. It's not. The video is from Chile. Oh my yeah. God. Oh it's, yeah, it, it was in Chile. Yeah, it wasn't even. Which was <laughs> which in Chile? This was a very common part of the protest. There, they use these these lasers. Right, I remember that. And uh, you know, there was the, like a disinformation campaign to make people think that this was happening in Portland when it wasn't, and that appears to have possibly made its way onto the Garcetti show. I have not seen any record of this happening in LA. If it were, I'm like, I mean, it, this feels like something my mom would uh, like warn me oh, about. Right. That, yeah. But like, I'm not like sure that like this is, I mean, somebody did was shot over a dozen times. And so like the health impacts of that, I would be a little more concerned about than these the green lasers. All of the people, but, all of your citizens who are going down to the South Los Angeles station and being shot with rubber bullets by the sheriff's deputies. Right. I mean, that doesn't merit a mention, but... If only they had had lasers to fight back, I think it would have been different. <laughs> but I mean, well, you know, those protesters out there, they shouldn't even be out there because we already passed all the eight can't wait stuff that they asked for. Right. So... Why are they even out protesting? I want to point out that this is that this is the second time that Mayor Garcetti has brought this up. I posted about it on Twitter last time. He was very salty that nobody had chosen to cover the fact that he did the eight can't wait thing. He said before, just like he said this time, that's what people are in the street protesting for, which is false. Nope, that's not why people are in the street protesting <laughs> as evidenced by the fact that they haven't stopped 
being in the street They're protesting. But Garcetti seems to think that this is just a, a, a problem of selective coverage and not that no one gives a shit. So he's just going to keep bringing it up, I guess. And he was also very close to saying the name of another victim who actually was killed by LAPD. He said, a killing mm-hmm. that we saw in Venice. Again, could have said the name. This is Brendan Glenn. This was something that happened a few years ago. It was clear in that situation that he, he was someone who you know was basically murdered by LAPD. And again, just could have said the name and opted not to. He, he does this every time. This, you know, passive voice, of course, because because of course he does that. But then also he uses the phrasing that we saw. We saw this happen. We saw saw this happen. Again, I mean, he he hates the existence Mm -hmm. of any rhetorical distance between himself and the majority of Angelinos who either don't know who he is or strongly dislike him. So he's always saying, we this, we this, uh, you know, we're, we're in this together. But a killing that we saw is such a strange phrasing. And I want to say like the first time that I remember him doing this, you, you mentioned, Alyssa, that that they, they tweeted about George Floyd eventually. But the first thing that he said about George Floyd was the infamous line that he had back at the end of May, which was, we were supposed to be celebrating the reopening of <laughs> restaurants, but instead we saw the closing <laughs> of a life. In Minneapolis, it, God, fuck you! I mean, fu- fuck you, Eric That's that's yeah. absurd. Yeah, that is, mean, let me forget that, please. He has he has workshopped <laughs> this this rhetorical angle and has apparently decided that it will play in every case whatsoever that someone has been killed by police. I, I actually went down to Westmont the night, the evening that. Dijon Kizzi was killed. And I mean, it was, it's just, it's really hard to see that. We know Black Lives Matter has been in this community every night now protesting, protesting at the sheriff's department. But the night that I went down there, the, the yellow tape was up still. The, the sheriff's deputies were pushing people back to such an extent that like, if you lived in one of those homes, you could not exit your home. You couldn't get back to your home if you were not in there already. They they were the police were already very agitated. There was a big crowd there when I was there, I, and I left before. I, I think it continued to grow throughout the night, basically. But a lot of people are just hurting, and and the hurt never stops. You know, someone who was out there was saying that his nephew had been killed by by police. wasn't wasn't uh, Kizzy, but had had been killed by police recently. And he, you know, people are just fed up and seeing seeing the the line of people in this community knowing that there's not any there's not any sense that anything good could possibly come out after this there's no hope for like uh, restorative justice which is something that the a term that the police here have have co-opted and like to say that they do a lot but but that's not the reality on the ground and and people who are living in these communities are living so are living in in such a state of fear they you know they they say straight out there there's no reason for police to be in these communities if they hate black people so much and and that was that was the sentiment that was being aired that night just to talk like a point of confusion that i always have around some of the stuff with garcetti there is no to me political cost 
of going after like Alex Villanueva and like talking about all no. these stories. This is now a national story too. Yeah. all the deputy gangs and stuff. Alex Villanueva is a disgraced figure in Los Angeles <laughs> to the point that the county supervisors who actually oversee him are taking every possible angle seemingly to undermining his Yeah, they authority. talk trash about him publicly. Why can't All the time. The yes, with the exception of Catherine Barger. And right. even and even the two of them are not like it's not a healthy relationship right now. This is not even this is your surrounding community that this person oversees if you're Garcetti. But like there's no reason not to say that I mean even like Just a something. somewhat negative Yes thing about this guy and uh, unless you're concerned about like the deputies union and the police union have teamed up in the past for PACs Mm. like they support each other the police department and the sheriff's department don't like each other much for the for uh, for the most part but politically they they do team up so the only reason you wouldn't talk shit about the sheriff would be if you were worried about I that. disagree. Um, I disagree pretty strongly because I think that that requires that you still are thinking about Eric Garcetti as mayor of LA and not co-chair of Biden campaign, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the, the mistake I make a lot. It's oh, the case God. that... Why'd you bring that up again? It's the case that Villanueva <laughs> is reviled in Los Angeles, generally speaking, However, he's become kind of a darling uh, in right-wing media circles. And he's gone on Fox News who knows how many times so he can say, I'm not enforcing the supervisor's beach closure order or I'm I'm doing what I can when uh, a blue Democrat city is trying or city and county is trying to uh, defund the police. And he's uh, trumped up all of these things that he is, is saying He's very popular on that that circuit now. Meanwhile, Eric Garcetti, of course, never has been. But because of his affiliation with the Biden campaign, I mean, Joe Biden was out there calling for like people in Kenosha to be arrested, protesters, no, not right. not the so not the counter right. protesters. So he's yeah. he's staking out a very hard line against the the protesters. <sighs> Melina Abdullah on Twitter said that, or maybe it was in the LA Times, said that Joe Biden's response to the killing in Kenosha was basically indistinguishable from Donald Trump's very good people on both sides comment after Charlottesville a couple of years ago. So as a part of that campaign, it makes sense to me that Garcetti would not want to stake out a position that's going to draw any sort of national attention of any kind from right-wing media to the the Biden campaign or give any kind of ammo that he is against policing. And we we continue to hear him make the most just inc- incredible, like bowing gestures towards police. And, and he's done it so many times. And, and in this statement too, he's saying, we know how hard this job is and we don't get enough credit for all the good things that we're doing in policing. That's uh, That's where I think that comes from. Alyssa, distance learning, online education. You, it's, it's now been a couple weeks. I think it's been about LUS- seven, seven years, actually. Seven years. I was going to say, have you noticed any difference <laughs> in the experience between that and traditional physical school? or, or is <laughs> Not it at all. No, it's exactly the okay. same. No, I, w- I, I really want to just say the teachers have been amazing. And I... 
I have been so impressed. I only have my one teacher to, you know, comparatively to, but what I've heard from parents is that the teachers are really doing an amazing job and they are, you know, really engaging the students despite all of the challenges um, and really taking the time to uh, make them feel that they're people and and talking to them and making small talk. I mean, I, I really, it's going so much better than I thought it would. And it's been actually really great for my young child to learn how to use a computer. She now knows how to use Zoom, every aspect yeah. of muting and unmuting herself, which many adults do not possess those skills uh, right now. So she, I, I'm, I'm really excited about how it's going to go. I'm optimistic about um, that part. There was some news this week, you know, my daughter's in kindergarten. There was some news this week that kindergarten enrollment is down 15%. And this was causing a lot of alarm, like kids weren't able to, aren't going to get these skills that they need, you won't be able to to learn how to read. I can really understand actually why you would opt to not send your kid to kindergarten. And I don't think this is an LAUSD thing, you know, compared to LAUSD or, or a regular private school or a charter school or anything like that. You just might be able to spend that time a little bit more productively if your goal was to educate your kid mm-hmm. when they're that young. I know, but The part that's great for my daughter is she knows some kids that she was in school with last year. She gets, you know, this the nice socialized uh, Zoom experience where they sing songs and they, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, play games and then they learn some stuff. But um, I can understand why parents might have not enrolled their kids. I don't, I don't really see it as a failing of public education or anything like that. Also, because kindergarten, what are you going to do? Start a brand new school, you know, not knowing anybody and just like sit your right. kid in front of a screen. But I think the the bigger challenge and the thing that that's really a bit scary is for public school enrollment specifically, how much of that is parents opting out of LAUSD and sending their kids to private schools or private learning situations or pods or whatever, who won't go back to public school when it opens. And that's going to affect enrollment, you know, down the line. Of course, when you're in kindergarten, you use kindergarten for childcare. I mean, a lot of people aren't going to send their kids, you know, you don't have to send your kids to kindergarten. You, you know, can send them to just you're required by law to send them to first grade, right? Is that true in California? Is there, I mean, true in LA County? I don't know. I can double check that, but so it's, it's not the end of the world. I don't think if your five-year-old isn't enrolled in an online Zoom education course, but the teachers are doing an amazing job and, you know, we really feel part of this great community and, and we're, you know, so pleased that, that they've been able to make this work. At the same time, we have um, UTLA has been very outspoken about the fact, you know, that they're, we're not going back until the teachers feel safe. And then we have these distance learning centers that have opened at rec centers. And I was shocked to learn, I knew this was going, was coming, but, um, they're now doing 60 operating 60 of them. And I went by the one, um, nearest to me and it did seem like they had a really great setup. You could be on your computer in the main, they have, they have a big gym. You could use the Wi-Fi. You could do your work, and then they had outdoor options as well, where you could be socially distanced. You know, doing crafts or sports or stuff that didn't require contact with other kids. I was really impressed. So there are no LAUSD teachers there. Who who is supervising the, this process? I uh, you know it's like like we had before. We when we have, and I assume a lot of these are the same programs where they had childcare set up. You have to be six years old to send your kids to these things. They had childcare set up for city workers and essential workers. Yeah. So I assume it's just the same 
people who would have been running these school program okay. after school programs anyway, who are work for parks department. That's just what I guess. But you're right. I mean, it does seem we are basically running schools in parks instead of running them in schools, these types of programs on property. And they're kind of being, I mean, like schools, they, they're almost being treated like black sites. It feels like where like there is no list of where they are. Not that like it was hard to find. Yeah, no. Yeah. And I don't think it's been promoted that much. And maybe that's for a reason. I don't know. But like I, yeah. I you know, obviously my daughter is not old enough to go. But I for parents that I know that are struggling about what to do with their children or they have multiple if you have multiple kids at home, maybe and you can send the older one out to go do something like this. Um, it just seems like a, a good option. And again, like, you know, I support the teachers and I, I think they're doing an amazing job and I don't want them to go back until they feel safe, but it also feels like they could do limited situations like this, especially for the employees, kids or anyone else on site at the schools. And that would be a, a safe, a safe situation or they could make sure it was safe. But one other thing that's come up this week, which is again, you have to think of LAUSD, 80% of the students qualify for free lunch. So they've had this grab and go program that started last year when school was or moved to distance learning in March. You could go to these uh, certain schools that were would give you meals. You got grab and go meals in the morning. You could get, you know, just you showed up with a kid or even not with a kid and they would give you food. And they just changed it because they can't really say, they say they can't really be giving out free meals to anyone who wants them. So now you have to have a barcode to be able to access per student, like the meals that you get. I understand, of course, probably that they couldn't just, you know, have this, you know, universal plan. Carla Javier at LAS wrote this really great um, story about like, you know, the resources that go into this and how different school districts are handling it. But you're making parents now who were used to one thing and thought this is how it worked now have to go in the morning to get their food before school starts. And some of them didn't get the barcode in the mail. They didn't understand the change. You know, we had this kind of chaotic week. Um, and I just hope that I hope that all these parents are getting the information that they need to adjust to this. It's not going to be easy. It changes every week. Things are very different. And I, I just... I hope this can be fixed in a way in a way soon that we can go back or people who feel comfortable can go back in a way that that makes their lives easier because it's I know it's still really hard. And especially September 1st coming and not knowing how you're protected when it comes to uh, your rental situation uh, in the city of L.A. Yeah, this I mean, <laughs> it's the same thing, right, where this, these programs are set up and then implementation makes it difficult for the people that need to use them to actually use them. So this grab and go lunch program, too many, the problem is too many people are hungry in Los Angeles that some people without yeah. kids or some people, like some people are taking advantage of hardly like a luxurious lunch and going to get them when they don't deserve them quote under the terms of this program. So instead of expanding, finding ways to expand food resources so that everyone who is hungry right. is fed, they cut off this food to everyone except the the the, the people who they want to provide the food yeah. for. Also to get there, I mean, just imagine what your day is like. Say that you have a yeah. kid in school, you have to be online by 9 a.m. You also have to struggle with getting online. They said they were getting hotspots yep. to all the families, but they were still at the end of the week saying, if you need a hotspot, we'll get you one. If you need a hotspot, we'll get you one because I think still, they're, I mean, that feels like something they are genuinely working really I, I hard on. I definitely think they are, but yeah. it, they should have announced that 
you know, before the school year. Sure. I mean, we're already, you know, two weeks in, two, three weeks in. But imagine what your morning is like if you are someone who has to go get meals for your family and then be online at, at 9 a.m. And hopefully your, you know, internet works and it's not uh, 105 degrees in your house. But you have to get to a grab and go center, which aren't at every school. So you might need to take a bus or a train mm-hmm. to get somewhere to pick up your meal. You can borrow someone's car. You know, we're putting a lot of stress on the families. And just to add any stress at any point of that process is completely unfair to these families. And it this is a similar thing to what we're seeing with the rental assistance programs in LA. There were stories this week going around where, so as we talked about, City of LA used CARES Act money to set up a rental assistance program of about $100 million uh, that would... You would uh, apply. You would prove that your finance has been had been affected by COVID. You would get a somewhere uh, around a thousand, two thousand dollars, I think, and you would, and that money would go directly to your landlord. So, of course, the system was overrun with applicants. Way more money than than the city was able to give out. Uh, it was a lottery system. The people that won then apparently have attempted to have this money sent to their landlord and their landlords have been refusing it. They don't want to make this deal with the city. And apparently this was not accounted for in the program in the first place that the landlords don't have to take this money. And even if, you know, this is an individual saying, here's my rent. I am paying you this rent money and the landlords aren't taking it, suggesting that they want to evict people that like the evictions for them are a feature, not a bug and will down the road lead to them making more money. Say if they have a tenant in a building with rent control, they want to refresh the rent and jack it up by thousands of dollars, you know, for all these things, if you don't have protect like outreach enforcement, like all these programs that we set up are useless without these, without the ability to actually implement them effectively. And it's hard. It's not easy to set these things up quickly. But when you see stuff like this happening, they tend it tends to just be accepted as like the, like, well, not, all these things are imperfect instead of urgently moving to, to get them into shape and expanding them as much as they need to, 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 to make them work. It's kind of like, it is what it is. We already approved this flawed version and it's going to continue that way. And it seems also that the communication is very contingent on like how good of a communicator your landlord is to you. I mean, do you what do you Right. H- how is the city talking to you directly? Like how do you find that out? They and, aren't. I mean, yeah, you there's not any kind of like messaging and so you're also your landlord could tell you whatever they want to tell you. I mean, they could Yeah. <laughs> they could just make something up and tell you. And that goes for the state level enforcement too. Like if nobody know, like we talked in our emergency episode about these new standards for eviction that were passed where you have to pay 25% of your rent and the other 75 is converted to consumer debt, just like this Byzantine series of new rules. But if your landlord goes to you and says, Hey, you don't have your full rent. I'm evicting you. What percent of people have no idea what the rules are? Like, like what percent of people will know their rights on this issue? The city's not telling them. Mm-mm. No other local government is telling them. All they have is their landlord's word to go by. And when they go to the city, if, if, if 
they have the wherewithal to go try and get their rights enforced. And they go to their landlord and say, hey, you were lying. You tried to evict me. You actually aren't able to. The landlord gets to shrug and say, oops, there's no penalty for the landlord in that situation. They might as well try every time. There's no like there's no punishment for that kind of behavior. And I mean, the like as not when you go to the city in the event that you do that, then you find out for one of a variety of reasons that you you weren't covered by the protections when you thought you were. Maybe you didn't provide seven days advance notice that you were going to not be able to pay your full rent or something like that. So you're sidecarred out of the protections afforded by the city altogether. I'll also say, I mean, in general, the one potential motivation for the landlords to not even accept the money from from the city is that a lot of these landlords are part of AGLA, the Apartment Association of Greater Los Angeles, which serves as the, the lobby for landlords here. That group is in the middle of a lawsuit against the city, county, and state of of LA or city, county of LA and the state of California to invalidate all of the protections that currently exist and to say that they were an overreach of the government and that they should be, that they should be immediately enjoined. So for a landlord, yeah, they might think that I, I think a lot of landlords would prefer eviction to continued tenancy. And if they Mm -hmm are successful, God forbid, in getting the existing moratorium stricken down, then there are a lot of people who will be put in a position where they haven't been paying their their rent, probably because they can't. There's been a lot of documentation that people who can pay their rent are still doing so, even if they are not legally required to do so. So you, you might end up in a situation where you haven't been paying rent because you are just not able to do that. And then your landlord, even if you get aid from the government is going to say, this program isn't lawful. I'm going to wait until the court settles this and then evict you and your Mm -hmm. whole family. And AGLA communicates with their members really well, a lot better than the city does. In fact, a lot of the tenant protections and eviction rules get to landlords via AGLA rather than from the city. So if there were any kind of coordinated effort to say, hey, don't take this money until our lawsuit plays out until this political situation plays out, that would be very easy for Agla to coordinate. Mm-hmm. And also, I would just want to confirm what we were talking about earlier kind of confirms our uh, what we've been saying for a while that there was this process for the public spaces, uh, and the, the mostly uh, parks spaces going from emergency rec center shelters or cooling centers to distance learning facilities. That has now happened. That Van Nuys Sherman Oaks Cooling Center that we talked about at the beginning that was taken off the cooling center rolls was on a preliminary list of distance learning facilities. So I think it's fair to say that it's almost definitely that's the purpose that it has been converted to and probably a big reason why there are only five cooling centers uh, when normally they they might have opened more of these places up, but they're now being used for distance learning. They could so. surely be used for both though, if it's on the weekend, if the heat wave weekend, is on the yeah. weekend. I mean, maybe sure. hopefully that is what happened, but that what that is what could have could have happened, but it doesn't seem like it it did happen. No, doesn't seem like it. Uh let's end on a somewhat positive note. Uh, in terms of the ongoing coronavirus outbreak, we reached a very tragic milestone and a comparatively positive one late this week 
where we reached 6,000 deaths in L.A. County, but also the number of people currently hospitalized with coronavirus fell to the triple digits. It's in the 980s as of Saturday for the first time since April. Like, I mean, that's been a really long time. Yeah that we've had well over a thousand people, sometimes about 2000 people hospitalized with coronavirus. Cases are falling. Hospitalizations are falling. Deaths are now finally starting to fall. The outbreak is receding as we talk about potentially reopening schools and uh, returning to normalcy. I think it's a question of will we see what happened last time when we opened uh, retail and, and restaurants. Will it just come right back? And we have a holiday uh, but, again at the same time. They Do they time it on purpose with the holidays so they can not blame their own reopening? Right. Well, I mean, we, we, have a, we have a different <laughs> schema in place now than we did the last time that the reopenings went forward because the state of California finally decided that local control in a pandemic was one of those things that maybe should not be put <laughs> on a pedestal. The, the new safer recovery or whatever plan that the the state has put together actually does a, a fair amount to preempt the ability of uh, of counties like Los Angeles that have shown that they don't really put much uh, thought into what's going to happen to their residents if they re- reopen too quickly to make it so that our county can't do that. There are now like four tiers and there's a mandatory three-week waiting period in between the progression from one tier to the next. We're still in the most shutdown one. And as of the time that we're recording right now, we don't. So it's it, the, the new, the new uh, paradigm is based on the percent of tests that are coming back positive during a 14-day period. And then the number of new cases per day adjusted for the population of the county. And as of the time of this recording, on both of those metrics, we are still in the most restrictive category. So it it will be at least two weeks before we qualify to do any new openings based on that. Despite the fact that those numbers are the easiest to manipulate. And honestly, like LA has done that in the past. When we opened up testing from only people who had symptoms or were vulnerable to everyone, that really reduced the number, uh, the percent of positive cases. When everyone's getting tested, the percent of positive cases is going to go down. And it did go down by a lot. And at the time, that was the metric for reopening. And so that paved the way for restaurants to reopen that decision. But scaling it back, I can't even keep track of who is able to get tested and when at this point. But by limiting testing to a smaller population of people, you can reduce the positive cases per yeah. per, per 100,000. <laughs> so all the other indicators are following the same trend. I don't I don't think there's like a lot of like hospitalizations are much harder to to fudge. Yeah, to fudge. Exactly. <laughs> and so it seems to all be in line. Although we did talk about the nursing home thing, the nursing home trick. Where you don't count right, where people they're technically who are not institution, institution. Uh-huh. yeah, yes. But those, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's just impossible to say what's going on. Let's talk about. So we were six months in to this. Shockingly, yeah. it's tough to access sort of what we were thinking when this started, and kind of what we were in our heads signing up for in 
LA, like what we were preparing for. I know we were all mentally saying like, okay, this is going to happen. And then this. So I'm curious from the two of you, if you can access your March selves (laughs) and like what you were thinking and how like would happen and how that has for our listeners. Alyssa is trying to massage March (laughs) Alyssa out of her temples right now. Oh, wow. I'm like going back in time. <laughs> Life is so different then. I, the thing that just, that I, I, this didn't happen in March, but the thing that I, that keeps going through my head is that day that Dr. Ferrer was like, we might have to stay closed until August and everybody yeah. freaked out. <laughs> freaked out. And thank you when, for reminding when me. When she that. said that, I was like, wow, that sounds great. Like that's, I think that's probably right. Like, I yeah, think August, we all did. I think August is a realistic thing. And then, of course, me, I was just thinking of back to school, like, oh, we'll be ready to go, fresh and healthy for the first week of school. So I I thought, you know, we this curve, our curve is flattened. I don't think we're going to have another huge spike now. It doesn't it seems like we might be able to hold it down at least through the end of the year and get through what won't be as bad of a flu season, perhaps, because we're in a place that people can hopefully take good care of themselves. Fires are another issue, I guess, if you have respiratory illness. But I think we did. I'm not going to say we did a good job, but I, I think we succeeded in a place where we saw many other places fail. And in some ways, exactly what she said that day is Kind of true. What happened anyway, even though we had kind of a bad, uh, a bad, a few bad calls that threw us off and probably hurt a lot of people and, and lost a lot of lives. Well, she said that in such an important moment, Alyssa. You're so right to point that out. I think she said that in early May. And there and people did freak out about August. And then Garcetti went on TV to like sort of assure people that it would there's no way it would go that long. And, and then, then like it two was weeks only, later, started opening things up. Yes. Right? Like, and yeah. by the end of the month, everything was open. And it's because that happened that we are still where we are. I mean, look, places like New York still haven't fully reopened, but they also aren't having they aren't experiencing mass death and disease the way we still are here. So, I mean, for me, I think in my head, I thought hard lockdown, everything closed for maybe a month and a half. I remember after at the end of April, I was like, okay, we like have to just maintain this for a little while longer. And then we'll get the numbers like as close to zero as possible. And then this will be over. And it's such a hindsight thing. Like it's hard to, but I do, you know, you do remember sort of thinking like, if we just like maintain, 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 you know, like we'll we'll be able to ride this out and be back to normal sooner. I don't in, in retrospect, I don't think there was ever really a version where that would have happened because you have people coming in and out from other states. There's no local policy that can fully control this kind right. of thing. But we would have had way fewer cases and deaths. And also just, I think, more economic stability for, you know, what what you see for the restaurants in particular, all the closures now, you almost all the people are citing that, you know, false start of reopening that really threw them off and and 
that who knows how many businesses we lost or, you know, people who were put into debt or, you know, completely financially devastated because of the faulty reopening call. Yeah, I mean, I, I think when I when I think back to March and April, what stands out to me in hindsight is sadly, I think, still the case now, which is that there there's not there was not ever a clear understanding in my mind and i don't think it was it was clear being communicated from government at any level what the goal uh, of the the several pandemic responses were going to be was it we're right. we're doing this until the pandemic ends pandemics can of course be anywhere from 12 to maybe 4 year or 12 months to 4 years in duration something along that that level historically that's that's a long time is it until we have an understanding of this disease and what it does to people we still don't necessarily have that we will be waiting to see what the long-term effects of people recovering from covid are for a long time the early indications are of course pretty serious and concerning was it to wait out the first wave it, it wasn't clear what we were actually attempting to do and it, I think as as April became May, it became pretty obvious that from the perspective of local government, we were not prepared to be in this for any significant length of time. And I heard a lot of sort of exculpatory statements made by people saying blue city mayors like Eric Garcetti and like supervisors like our, our board of supervisors had their hands tied by Donald Trump and the fact that there was not any further stimulus that was able to get out of the Senate meant that this was what had to happen. Like there was there was no choice that that democratic cities had in this matter. And I think it's an interesting claim because notably, that's not what any of the involved political agents actually said. Like Garcetti <laughs> didn't say they've said it at various times. Yeah. We need help. We need more more things. Yeah. But but actually, when you like listen, as, as I was listening in real time to, to what was being said about reopening, it was, it's time to do this, which is very different yeah. than what you would say if you were being forced to do something. And it's safe. Yeah. It's time to do this. And we've reached a point that it's safe to do. Like Garcetti tweeted out, it's time to get back to business, which is a very yeah, different briefly. statement than... My hands are tied. We have no choice but to reopen everything. And it's very dangerous. That's so that to me flies in the face of, of what actually happened. But but that being said, I, I still don't feel like today we have a sense of what we are, you know, what for lack of a better word, what we're waiting for. And I think that that's important. I'm not, of course, saying that we shouldn't be quarantining. On the contrary, I think that it's very important that we do so. But Alyssa, like you you brought up, it it's hard for people to it's hard for people to feel like it's an indefinite state where they don't understand what is what's on the other side of it. And mm -hmm. and I I think that in retrospect, that that occurs to me more strongly. Like that 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 was never clear at any point, that it's still not clear. I think that we are approaching the if we're if we don't do anything severely stupid at this point in time, we are approaching the end of LA County's 
first first wave, so to speak, the way that New York mm-hmm. has has clearly reached the end of theirs. But but what comes after that, I think, is is still not clear. And I don't think that our politicians have given a clear picture of what they think should come after that. Just that, like, when we talk about hindsight, the... Uh, I think it's okay. You were like, and what was the plan in the beginning? Like, what were we trying to do? I think it is okay that they didn't know at the beginning and that they were learning and watching other places and like seeing what was happening like with the pandemic to decide what the ultimate plan was that's totally reasonable like nobody knew Mm -hmm. they took the safest restrictions that we knew at the time at the beginning and then we're waiting to see what would happen but they just learned the wrong stuff and they took this path of whichever uh, entity has the loosest standards sets the standards for the rest of the region and even the country i still think they were looking at georgia and saying like, well, Georgia never really shut all the way down and their outbreak hasn't happened. So now it's time for us to open up. And then it's like right in sync, Georgia's outbreak exploded yeah. just as LA's did after the reopening. So it's like, you know, waiting, watching like SARS went away. Like, uh, like some, like these things do happen and like you wait and see what the behavior of the virus is and all this, but they just took every wrong lesson from that in the early stages in May because the priority was reopening. And we, we still don't know at the state level what actually happened because we heard news that Newsom didn't listen to the science that he was presented with. And then we had the resignation of the top health official and we don't have an explanation for why that happened or, you know, any more real details, which I think may come out. And in yeah, time. I'm sure they will. So what's six months from now look like? <laughs> that's, that's March, right? Back to back to March. What does March 2021 look like? Our Corona anniversary will be, I, I I think, and again, I'm looking at New York a little bit when I make our yeah make these um, prognostications because New York is is really not that far ahead of us if you think about it. Like you know, they still have an open indoor dining. Yep. There's all these things that so don't feel like you're missing out on um, you know what some other big city has because we we really they're only they are far ahead of us in people not dying of well yes but a lot of people did die for that to happen so yeah and they have definitely you know a school they also have the same school challenges even though they are opening schools they delayed it already they might delay it again there's this big battle about indoor outdoor and and how they can actually make it safe and a lot of parents are opting not to go back anyway so again they they don't have their schools you know they don't have a, a normal life really starting up again at, at, with the school year so but i do think by i do hope and i do think that by the spring semester i'm only thinking about schools here selfishly but i i think there will be some kind of option for you to send your kid back to school in person safely with the cooperation of the teachers union for the spring semester i'm hopeful and i i think we can at least get that part back for the families that need it that feels right to me too i think we are just basically waiting on a vaccine at this point to get back to that stage and so it you know i don't know anything about vaccine development and but from what you hear seems like right around like the 
after the first quarter of 2021 is when people will be able to get that in a like widespread vaccinations. And yeah, I mean, it feels like we're probably at the halfway point of being exactly where we are right now. It's like hard to believe, but I think that is probably true. I still, I think that's a bit optimistic still time, time frame wise, but Hey, we're all going to find out together. So <laughs> what do you, well, you have to make a call too. Yeah. What do you I don't think? Know. I, I mean, I imagine in March we will have, I, I think I, I, I kind of just expect current, trends to to continue right like relatively more service sector people being forced to return to work either because they they Mm -hmm. are not given the option to to stay home and collect unemployment or because um i think by march we'll we'll have progressed beyond um the the current tier of the the state's reopening guidelines that we're in probably to one or or two times so a lot more businesses will be reopened at that point in time more people will be going to work more probably even more white collar companies will be trying to introduce plans to get some of at least some number of their workers back in person some of the time which has happened in hollywood by the way production is 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 happening again. Yeah, yeah. It, was a, it was a really good month for Hollywood production and in terms of numbers of production at least. The the thing that I'm I'm I just I don't know. I, I think it's it's probably too soon to say whether or not the the vaccines that exist currently and, and are being tested will will pan out or can easily be distributed. So I, I would imagine I would imagine that most people will not have access to a vaccine at the end of next quarter or probably even by the end of the summer. Hopefully wrong, though. I'm wrong a lot. But you have podcasts to carry yeah. you through. And an election, which will distract you yeah. from everything. <laughs> we have plenty <laughs> of horrors to occupy ourselves with. That's what's important. Thank you so much for listening to LA Podcast. Please come back and listen again next week. And uh, if you would, please subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash LA podcast. We had a great interview last week for the 10 with Elaine DeLalas of the This Filipino American Life podcast. We'll have another episode of 30 Mile Zone again this week where we watch every movie that's ever been made about LA. We appreciate you and we will be back soon. Bye. Bye.